Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Classic Vinyl Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Justin, and I'm here with my other host, Tyler. I am here in spirit. And you're still somewhat sick. I am fighting this damn cold that's been going on for like three weeks now. And this time it's really ticking me off because it's affected my voice. Worse, well, worse than it did last week. Well, maybe everyone will think we have a guest host this week. I'm your uh, guest host, Jerome. And, but the problem is if they like Jerome, then we're going to have to figure out something oh, shit, with your yeah. voice. Yeah, exactly. Have to just keep me perpetually sick. But anyways, to get right into it, are you ready to review Credence Clearwater Revival tonight? Oh, we are so excited about this album. I'm excited about all of them, really. I I just love music, and that's what's <laughs> great about it. So this one, this album tonight, was actually emailed into us as a suggestion. Someone said, hey, you haven't done any CCR yet. I mean, and this is, what, our 15th episode, so... That's a very fair criticism. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah we hadn't. And they wanted us to do some CCR, so I picked an album. He didn't say specifically what album. But John from Austin, Texas, we are doing some CCR for you tonight. Thank you very much, John, because these guys are beautiful. I mean, these are the best Southern band that's not from the South. Exactly. They do an excellent job at faking that they're uh, some kind of Southern rock, country-ish skiffle band or something from the South, yet they're as we'll get into, not from the South. You know, it wasn't until I looked at the album cover that I realized, hey, these guys are all white. (laughs) (laughs) You you did that last week with Carole King. I did. I'm very racially, um, what, I'm I'm losing my ability to identify race through vocals. But you know what? That's good. Yeah. Because good music's good music, right? I I don't hear color. (laughs) And you shouldn't. So let me give you a little history on Credence Clearwater Revival. So this band was actually together for quite a while. As we talked, this southern, I don't know what you'd call them, bluesy, rockabilly, southern rock, Mm R&B, you know, sing a lot about the bayous and catfish (laughs) and the Mississippi River and things like that. Yeah, southern themes. And these good old southern boys are all from El Cerrito, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. (laughs) Hippies. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So they originally formed the band in 1959. They originally called the Blue Velvets, and then they later changed their name to the Gollywogs. That would have been kind of a neat name to stick with. Yeah, it's not the worst name of a band I've heard. So No, yeah. but they finally changed it to Credence Clearwater Revival in 1967. Now, the band was John Fogarty, who is lead guitar and vocals, pretty much writes most of their music. His brother, Tom Fogarty, who played rhythm guitar. Stu Cook, mm-hmm. bass and Doug Clifford on drums. Between 1969 and 1971, they released 14 top 10 singles and five consecutive top 10 albums. And kind of comparing them to another group, I Love the Doors. This is another group from that time that just simply wasn't together very long. I mean, obviously they got together in 59, but really their popularity didn't start until they changed their name to CCR in 67. And then when when they really started making it was 69. 72s you'll soon find out they were broke up so really about four to five years you know and the amount of music they released in that time's crazy as far as their albums go they had two albums reach number one here in the u.s green river and cosmos factory neither of which we are reviewing tonight and another interesting fact about ccr they never had a number one single in the u.s really no they had five singles that peaked at number two and there is some little factoid about them that they're the group with the most singles released and the most singles hitting number two to never have a number one single. Funny enough, there's... I'm shocked, but I believe it. <laughs> I'm shocked, too, because I didn't know that until I did a little research on it. And with the amount of radio play these guys get still to this day, it surprises me. Very surprising as far as that's concerned. So during their time together, during that basically five years they were together, they released seven studio albums, three live albums, and 29 singles. Since that time, or since they formed and to now, they've released 41 compilation albums. They had seven studio albums in five years. Out of those studio albums and live albums and things, they've had 41 compilation albums. And their greatest (laughs) hits, Volume 1 and Volume 2, have done really well. In fact, that's how I got to know them. I got those when I was young on vinyl. You know, and they were the first major act to be signed to play Woodstock in 1969, too, which really helped their popularity. Yeah, that makes total sense. 
These yeah. guys are the iconic band of 1969, I'll say that. With all their albums, they've sold over 50 million albums worldwide, 28 million in the U.S. alone. But in 1972, they finally did break up. Tom Fogarty, John Fogarty's brother, he actually left the band in 71. This band is full of anger with each other, let's just put it that way, or full with anger of John Fogarty. He, he was kind of, not kind of, he was definitely the leading force of this band and very demanding. None of the band members appreciated his overly controlling and dominant attitude. And he didn't let the band contribute for good or bad, however you see it. I mean, their success is unprecedented and you can't argue with their success. So the things he did made the other band members without a doubt. But I think once they started finding success, because they were together quite a few years as the other group names and things, but once they started finding that, he really took control, and I don't think that was appreciated by the other band members. Probably wasn't, but at the same time, kind of made the band, didn't he? Yeah, I think when you have that dominant of a personality, but also that dominant of a talent, how do you hold it down? Mm. And we can sit here and criticize it all we want, or everybody could but if he didn't exist in that manner the band probably we wouldn't be talking about him today yeah for sure you know his brother tom fogarty eventually died in 1990 and that kind of cut out any really chance for any kind of reunion not that Mm -hmm. that was really going to happen anyways because they are still there's a hundred things we could go into but they've been at each other's throats with lawsuits and things for years i wonder who's the older of the two you know, that I don't know. I, I believe John is older. Don't quote me on that because I'm not really well, sure. I would expect John to be older because the older brother usually is usually the, dominant. the dominant one. Yeah. Right? So Stu Cook and Doug Clifford, they played together for years, played in some other bands and that, and they finally got back together as Credence and named it Credence Clearwater Revisited in 1995. And then that started some lawsuits between them and John Fogarty and things like that, and they're still going on. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1993. That wasn't without controversy because John Fogarty played on stage but refused to let the two remaining members of the group play. Really? Yeah, he actually played with kind of an all-star band with Bruce Springsteen and Robbie Robertson. Oh, what a dick. Uh, kind of a dick move, but, yeah. you know, we don't know everything that's going on, but I guess... But if, if you're going to get inducted as Creedence Clearwater Revival, you, you would want Creedence Clearwater Revival, at least the remaining members. You would think. I don't know the whole history behind it, but I guess, you know, once John Fogarty started playing, Stu Cook and Doug Clifford basically stormed out of the place and were disrespected, which is understandable. Yeah. You know, fully understandable. You know, it is what it is. And that's a little short history on the band. And we're going to review Creedence Clearwater Revival's Willie and the Poor Boys tonight. Do you want to get to the album review? Let's get to it. And now it's time for the album review. Okay, so Willie and the Poor Boys. It was released on November 2nd of 1969. This is uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival's fourth studio album. And kind of a funny thing is they released three albums in 1969. The previous album was Green River just three months previous to this. And that that is a lot of the reason. It's a stellar year for the Creedence Clearwater Revival. Very stellar for fans, yes. Mm-hmm. But I think that's also what led to, because they, oh. they were touring extensively and everything as well. In so the, I think that's in the what, midst of all that, oh my goodness, no it, wonder they hated each other. Yeah, so John Fogarty was just saying, let's get in the studio, let's get this laid down. And But once again, was he wrong? You can't argue with success, right? Yeah, exactly. So it is what it is. Now, this album was recorded at Wally Hyder Studios in San Francisco and produced by John Fogarty himself. And this was originally supposed to be somewhat of a concept album, kind of similar to, say, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, where okay. the Beatles you know, pretended to be this other band going out on tour and things. This yeah. was supposed to be a fictional band. About Willie and the Poor Boys. Yeah, identifying them as a old-time jug band, right? Yeah. They pretty much dropped that. You kind of have a little bit of that in the first song down on the corner. Yeah, and they, they revisit that in a couple of lighter songs. They do, and but it yeah. is, they still kind of carry that theme on the cover. Because on the cover, it you know, it features the whole band. They're out on a street corner. Mm-hmm. at a local market or whatever yeah. and they're all playing their jug band instruments right but vietnam is still going on and richard nixon is in the white house well yeah that's what's so strange about this band and that that's kind of what i i jotted down here is as popular as they were they were different from all the other popular music of the time and they were almost an anti-rock band of the times because although this album has 
Fortunate Son, a very political anti-Vietnam song. It also has songs that's kind of anti-hippie on it as well, yeah. you know, and and they don't have the standard rock sound. I mean, it's I don't even it's know. It's almost country. Kind of, but it's almost southern rock. But yeah. then there's there's guitar licks and songs they have on here that are heavy. The only way to explain them is Creedence Clearwater Revival. It's They're, okay to not be afraid of a harmonica. They're an interesting band, that's for certain. <laughs> Yeah. So this album, when it was released, was well-received by critics. Mm-hmm. It reached number three on the U.S. charts, number 10 in the U.K., number two in Canada, and it reached number one in France for some reason. Well, the French really like them. Wow. I guess so. This album to date has sold almost six million copies worldwide. It's been certified three times platinum in the U.S. For whatever matters, Rolling Stone ranked this 193 of the top 500 in their 2020 edition. little low, I would think. I'm glad they're up there. And of course, on this album, we'll go through it again. You've got John Fogarty. He's playing the vocals, lead guitar. He plays piano and harmonica on this album. His brother, Tom Fogarty, plays rhythm guitar and backup vocals. Stu Cook plays bass and backup vocals and Doug Clifford's drums. I guess he doesn't get to sing. No, but uh, boy, he's a good drummer. Yeah, he's not a bad drummer. It's an interesting album. It's the one we chose to review. So hopefully, mm-hmm. John, you're happy with this one. And should we get to side one? Let's do side one. Side one. Okay, so the album opens up with a pretty popular song that I think everybody knows, Down on the Corner. Out in the Street. So this song, like most of them on this album, was mm-hmm. written and sang by John Fogarty. It was released as a single in the U.S. It reached number three. It only reached number 31 in the UK, so for some reason the British didn't like it as well. I'm a little surprised by that because it seems like the South and the UK were kind of tied, but that's also 100 years before this. Yeah, but I also think if you look at the timing on this and you look at some of the other things we've reviewed that was going on with like Black Sabbath and some of these things that were very popular in England, I kind of think this music doesn't have... Yeah, this is a little more upbeat. It's upbeat, but it's also really not country because, you know, the funny thing is I do not like country. The country aspects in most of this I do like, and I do like Creedence Clearwater Revival, and I don't consider them country. They're enough. No, if you threw in a fiddle, it would be country. Yeah, if you threw in a fiddle, but I these, wouldn't be they're, they're, yeah. this album most likely. It, with, with it just being guitars, yeah, it's they're still rock and roll. Yeah, so the B-side of this was Fortunate Son, and it only reached 14 on the U.S. charts, which is kind of funny because I think that's a much better song. This is a really kick-ass single, though. I want that single. Yeah, well, and it's funny thing is because they were releasing double A-sided singles. So Fortunate Son really wasn't the B-side. It was a double A-sided yeah. single, and there I wasn't mm-hmm. going to go into this, but there are some people that had a problem with John Fogarty doing that. They mm-hmm. said, why not space it out and release more yeah. singles, you know, so you can get better music out there. And he famously said, Beatles, The Stones, those guys are releasing double A-sided singles. We should be doing it too. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know. Some people would say, can you compare Credence to those guys? But if you look at how big Credence was from 69 to 71, mm-hmm. they were every bit as big a band as the Beatles and The Stones at the time. These guys wrote the soundtrack to the Vietnam War. They kind of did. Yeah, well, at least the protest side, I guess. So this song's obviously about the fictional Willie and the Poor Boys band, supposed to carry on that theme, you know, Mm -hmm. playing on the street corner, asking for money. Apparently, John Fogarty got the idea from a Winnie the Pooh advertisement. He said that on a few occasions. You know, they have played this song live, dressed up like Willie and the Poor Boys, playing the gut bass, a washboard, a Kalamazoo, kind of mimicking the... The yeah, cover, the whole thing, right? yeah. And this single was certified two times platinum in the U.S. as well. Right what, do, what do you think of this song? I really enjoyed this song from the beginning to the end. They really captured that image. Now, this is a song you knew previous, obviously, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, I don't think many people could go without knowing this song, but mm-hmm. I may be wrong. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think that the electric guitar that they played throughout really complemented the whole washboard and jug band thing without clashing against it. Yeah, and see... That's one thing, you know, I think the intro is amazing on this because it's, I wouldn't say amazing, it's just a well-known intro. I mm-hmm. mean, it's classic. Yeah. I mean, as soon as it kicks in, it screams credence. I didn't think the the guitar was prominent enough in this, but I do like guitar-driven bands a lot. Mm-hmm. No, the, the guitar makes an entrance later in the song. Yeah. And the drumming's pretty straightforward in this, nothing flashy, but 
think something to be said about these drummers that keep a good steady beat, you know, and aren't all over mm-hmm. the place. You know, not everybody has to be Keith Moon, but it's got a good bass line to it. It's got good imagery again in the lyrics, you know, <laughs> bring a nickel, tap your feet. I just like the reference to Willie and the Poor Boys. And, and once again, going back to the Beatles, you know, Sgt. Pepper's was supposed to be this concept album, and it pretty much died after song two. This concept album pretty much dies after song one. Yeah, pretty much. So all these guys <laughs> had great ideas to do do these concept albums, you know, and the, the cover shows mm-hmm. it, and then yeah. they get one song into it, and then well, let's just... Let's just bag that and just play some good music. Yeah, but that earthquake has a couple aftershocks uh, later on in the album that we'll get to. Yeah, and, and this song to me is okay. It's not my favorite Credence song. It's almost a bit quirky and strange to me. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a song I skip. If it's on the radio, I listen to it, but it, I wouldn't call it my favorite Credence song. And I, I think that's just because it's not, it's probably just because of the strange instruments, right? Yeah. And it's not really guitar driven or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a heavy bass line in it. So it's just really not my cup of tea, but it's a good song nonetheless. Yeah. Really surprising to hear this style of music come out of San Francisco, though. Well, that's that's the funniest thing about them is this group. The music does not show where they are from. You would never mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I, I fully expect these guys to be out of Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. They fake it really well. They sure do. And John Fogarty's voice is, you know, mm-hmm. couldn't be more perfect for the music than it is. Other than I will say he is one of the hardest people to hear what words he's actually saying. Oh, yes, he is. I, yeah. I've listened to a lot of these songs for years and Which years. Which makes me wonder if he's a Cajun. <laughs> well, <Okay. laughs> he, he isn't. And I've listened to him yeah. talk and he talks, you know, normal and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I've listened to these songs for years and years and a lot of the lyrics... I'm way off on. For me, it's, and I'm not a huge lyric guy anyways, but it's definitely more for the music for me on these things than yeah. it is for the lyrics. But mm-hmm. So let's move on to the second song, It Came Out of the Sky. This was a new one for me. This is a good song. I've listened to it for quite a few years. Yeah. This is another song written and sang by John Fogarty. This is completely a song in satire. It's written about this meteorite or flying saucer or some kind of mm-hmm. UFO damn thing that falls on the property of a farmer, this farmer named Jody, right? Very Southern name again, once again. <laughs> yeah, and everybody starts fighting for this. Most famously in the song, the White House mm-hmm. and the Vatican, are, they're arguing over who gets to keep it. And Jody, and it says this in the song, Jody finally says, no, it's mine. He claims the thing and says, I'm going to put it for sale for $17 million. Which, you know, in 1969 dollars, that's quite a bit. Yeah, he's a capitalist. Yeah, and it, a lot of people think this song is similar to Bob Dylan, some of his satirical songs and things, mm-hmm. and, I, and I can see that. They didn't release this song as a single here, but they did in some weird countries like France and Sweden and Finland and New Zealand for and some Rwanda. reason. And Rwanda, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but I guess just to be strange. So what are your thoughts on this song? You know, it was a fun song. I like weird songs. Yeah, you yeah. do. I really enjoyed it. I, I did note here that a 1969 farmer was shocked by something falling from the sky, but he didn't lose his head. He knows what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a little he was a little scared at first. Jody yeah. fell off his tractor fearing for his life, and he ran into town, you know? Yeah. But then but, he's like, well, the, the when the government and the politicians and the Vatican are all fighting over ownership of it, he's like, well, it belongs to whoever's going to put $17 million in my hand. Yeah, it fell on, <laughs> fell on my land, so it's mine. As far as the music goes, it was okay in here. The guitar intro was good. The vocal's good. I didn't really like the way the vocal was mixed, though. It's got a little too much echo, and it's in the mm-hmm. background a little yeah. bit. I kind of thought that was strange. It does get drowned out, especially for a song that's supposed to be telling you a story. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was going to say is he is hard enough to understand his mm-hmm. lyrics anyways because he has this weird accent when he sings. For a storytelling song like this, the vocal should have been brought forward a little more. It's got a pretty decent raw guitar solo in the middle. He doesn't use any kind of pedals or effects. It's just pretty straightforward. It's it's an okay song. Once again, it's not one I'm going to skip. Got a good tune to it. I think it's got a better story than anything. I just wish the bo- vocals were mixed a little bit better on it. So that moves us on to song three on side one, which is Cotton Fields. This song is one of the covers on the album. It was written by Huddy Ledbetter and originally recorded by Lead Belly in 1940. So this, I mean, it's funny. You think, God, that's forever ago. But it yeah. was only 29 years old at the time. True. You know, that's 
That's like us recording a mid-90s song now. Yeah, exactly. So they released mm-hmm. this in Mexico as a single for some reason, and it reached number one, which is really strange. I don't know why it was released in Mexico, but it is a folk music song. It's It's been covered by a ton of artists, to name a few. Jimmy Page, The Highwayman, Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, Tesla, Elton John, Beach Boys, and more than we can even list. I was looking at the list of covers, and it's probably up in the hundreds of mm-hmm. people that have covered this. And, and some of the lyrics were changed a little bit in the original lyrics they talk about fields down in louisiana and of course if you listen to the ccr version they talk about down in louisiana just about a mile from texarkana uh, so right. this is uh in the neighborhood where the boggy creek monster lives basically yeah <laughs> yeah right right where they grew up in gold good old san francisco bay right yeah what did you think of this song overall? This is a nice southern song you, you, you really feel that sense of the south and i, I didn't think that we're there was a lot of cotton fields in mexico but hey maybe you know this is uh i can see this being like a song that really resonates within people who grew up in the south see this song to me sounds more it's got a good bluesy slash country style intro i do like the acoustic guitar in it and it's got little electric licks every once in a while in it that sound good it's got not too bad bluesy guitar solo in the middle of the song Mm -hmm. i i think they did a pretty good job of making this their own once again fogarty's vocals in this are strong and a little hard to understand like all of his music and when i say they're hard to understand it's just hard to understand the exact word he's saying for years and years, there were certain songs thought he was saying a certain word, and he wasn't. Yeah, he's not. I wouldn't call him a mushmouth, but I would say that he doesn't enunciate very well. No, he doesn't. But I think that's kind of his style. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's kind of what makes his sound. And I don't have a problem with it at all. I think no. his vocals fit the music perfect. You know, CCR is nothing without his vocals, obviously. Absolutely. Not a bad song, but... And uh, something else I know about this song, everybody in this is a really superb musician in a jam band. Yeah, it's a good bluesy jam. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And I I think they did an excellent job making their own. I've heard a couple versions of it. I've heard the Beach Boys version, which I'm not a fan of. It doesn't seem to fit with them. I've heard Tesla's version, which I'm not a fan of. I Mm -hmm. have not heard Elvis Presley or Johnny Cash's version that I can recall. Those would be interesting ones to hear, especially Elvis. Yeah, they'd be interesting. We'll have to give them a listen one time. So that moves us on to the next song, Poor Boy Shuffle. So this is just, this This was written by John Fogarty as well, but it's just a bluesy instrumental, right? It's played, once again, with all the instruments that you see on the front cover of the album. You know, it's kind of yep. your jug band. And I'm going to be honest with you before I hear what you think of this. I didn't like this song. The harmonic in it was okay. I heard somebody say, hey, in there once. M- most of this song is harmonica, by the way. Yeah, I heard somebody in about the middle of the song say, hey, so I think that's the only lyric in there. I'm sure it is, and that was not intentional. Yeah, and one thing, not not to get too far ahead, but it's a pretty short instrumental, and it fades into the next song. I think this would have been better as a short intro to the next song and just part of that yeah. song. That mm-hmm. would have made more sense to me, because that's kind of what it feels like anyway. It's a really long introduction. Yeah, I... There wasn't much I liked about yeah, this. They, they could have done the same thing, cutting it down to a few measures and then started in the next song. To me, this is kind of a skipper, but it's also short enough that mm-hmm. by the time you get up to change it, it's over. So Yeah, what's the point? It, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of one of those. It, it's just kind of a filler song for me. You know, I mean, this album has only got, I believe, 10 songs on it. I mean, with this on it, it really only has nine songs. And as you'll see later, there is one other instrumental on this album, and it's completely different than this one. That that poor boy shuffle though is uh, one of those um, aftershocks of the that whole Willie and the poor boys coming back again. It w- it wasn't a very strong one, but yeah, it kind of is. What was your thought on the song in general? It was one of my least favorite songs on the on the yeah. on the album. Well, and it's hard to review it as well because you're talking yeah. about an under two minute instrumental yeah. that's mm-hmm. just not not even really a rock band. It's not cut it down to one minute, make it the intro. I'm happy. Yeah, and I, I'm a little further than that. I'd say cut it down to 20 seconds and sure. make it the intro. But yeah. it is what it is. You know, it's not bad. It's just, mm-hmm. in my opinion, not needed on this. That moves us to the next song, Feeling the last Blue. last one on side one. It sure is. Poor Boy Shuffle fades into this song. This is another song written and sang by John Fogarty. This was actually, this song initially was slated for, the, for their Bayou Country album. 
he didn't quite get the song ready and they revisited it, added some extra things to it. So this song is about feeling blue, obviously, since that's the name of the song. Really longing for the need to move on to something better. You know, this is the second longest song on the album, a little over five minutes. This album's not very long at all, especially with 10 songs and being pretty short songs. And one little fact about this song is CCR or Creedence Clearwater Revisited or John Fogarty have never played this song live. What What were your thoughts on Feeling Blue? These guys are pretty good at playing the blues. You know, it's a real bluesy song. Very repetitive, very repetitive. And that's one of the notes I had is I, I had it to have good bluesy intro and a slow steady beat that doesn't change throughout the song the music is the same throughout whether it's the verse or the chorus you've got the same beat you know this is a very good song for you know beginning musicians to learn because you just keep the beat down solid you know and it's nothing special but it's Mm -hmm. a good bluesy beat it's got a pretty good you know guitar solo in the middle it's slow but it's it's fitting right the vocals are pretty decent in this. I, re- I really, that's the one thing I thought shined in this song was the vocals. I really mm. like the vocals on this. When I was talking earlier about him being mixed kind of strange, they're mixed to the front on this and they sound good. I yeah. really like the way they sound on this. Yeah, you really get the message of what he's saying. You can hear him saying that he ain't no shinner. He ain't no shank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think this is, you know, I don't know for sure, but I would assume this is the kind of song that can stretch out to 12 or 13 minutes playing a live concert with a lot of improvising, a lot of the solos and things like that. But yeah, Strains, they never played it live because I would assume this was one of the easier songs to play live. And maybe that's why they didn't, is they thought it was just a slow, steady beat with no, even though it has a chorus in it, it doesn't change mm-hmm. throughout. There's no middle section, there's no yeah. middle eight, there's no chorus changes it's kind of strange in that way but i i like this song i mm-hmm. i i probably put this song in my upper half favorite songs on the album that's fair that's a good place for it you ready to get to side two yep let's flip the album let's do it side two so side two opens up with probably what's the most popular and most recognizable song yeah. if not on the album possibly even in ccr's canon right fortunate son now, this was written and sang by John Fogarty again. It was the B-side, or the double A-side of Down on the Corner. It reached mm-hmm. number 14 in the U.S., which is actually pretty low. That's way low for how much you see this song in, like, all the movies about Vietnam. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I would think this is probably the song that gets the most radio play out of any CCR song. Absolutely, without a doubt. I would think so. And, you know, Rolling Stone ranked this song 99 on their top 500. Many people classify this song as Fogarty and CCR's best song. So Fort only reached 14 because this has went three times platinum in the U.S. as a single. Mm-hmm. It's been used, I was looking at the films, the TV shows, and the commercials this has been used in, and we're not even going to start naming them because there are so many of them. Either the rights to this song are super cheap, or this song is very much worth buying the rights. Well, I think maybe both because this... Like you said it earlier, this epitomizes the Vietnam War era. And and it's kind of funny because this is a very, very critical song of the Mm -hmm. Vietnam War and rich men making war and sending poor and young men off to fight the war for them. Yeah, and so you see this creep up a lot with protests about the soldiers' plight. Yeah, I mean, one movie I know it's in is one of my favorite movies, Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. You know, they use this. They use Mm -hmm. a couple Credence songs in that album, but... Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on this song musically? And Oh, th- this song is a work of art. This is the masterpiece of Creedence Clearwater Revival. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, this is the, I mean, uh, there's no secret now. This is the fa- my favorite on the album. But this, yeah, it's a beautiful uh, song to listen to. It uh, has a strong message, very cleverly and directly put out there. You know what's funny is this is one of the songs that I, for years, didn't understand all the lyrics, Mm -hmm. but I still understood the message. You know, because there's a lot of lyrics, you don't Mm -hmm. quite hear what he's saying, you know. I think one thing about this song is the intro on it is one of the most recognizable Mm -hmm. intros to a song. Yeah. And and that's kind of funny. That blues guitar. And that's kind of funny to say because the song itself is one of the most recognizable songs, but the intro is just epically classic, right? You know, and the vocal on this, this is his strongest vocal on the whole album. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. It, 
the guitar licks in the chorus are great. I love the little bit of a slowdown in the middle, and then it kicks back up. It's just a good, mm. steady. This song is the epitome of the CCR sound to me. It's the perfect mix. It's not too country like some of their songs happen to be. Mm-hmm. It's not heavy rock. It's just CCR and it moves and yeah, everything from it musically, you know, lyrically, everything about the song is strong. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, I, I think this is CCR's probably one of their top three best songs. Absolutely. But definitely I'm with you as the top on the album. That moves us on to the next song, Don't Look Now. It Ain't You or Me. This was a new one for me. This is another one written and sang by Fogarty. It's also a political song. This one actually is critiquing the hippies and basically the fact that they have their idealism, right? Mm-hmm. And they're out there fighting for all these. Oh, yeah, man. Just free love. And yeah, every nobody has to work anymore or do anything. Just do whatever you want. Yeah, you know? we, we have our idealism and our music. You only get one life to live. But, you know, he's critiquing them. You know, you've... You've got all this and going on, but you're not contributing anything to society. Damn straight. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of a different take. And I wrote this on the notes. It's mm-hmm. a different take from other musicians of the time, right? Yeah. A lot of them were taking the side of the hippies and free mm-hmm. love and drop out, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. tune out, drop Just out. drop out of society, drop out of the system, go live in the communes. And, you know, they weren't working the jobs to make anything better, you know, so it's... No, and when they talk about dropping out of the system, well, the system is set up to keep us going as a society. So for me, this song is not a good song. Really? I like the message from it. I like the lyrics from it. I think it's an important message for the time. But this song is straight country. I can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not for me. I, I have to agree with you for that important message. It got washed out with the with the instruments. Well, one, yeah, once again, and that's another note I made is the vocal was got mixed, mixed to the back poorly. Yeah, very yeah. poorly. And it and it and the way he was singing was kind of strange too. It gave me yeah. that Elvis or Roy Orbison sound mm-hmm. uh, feeling on it. Yeah. And I I didn't like the vocal. I don't like the music at all on this. The only thing I do like on this song is the message, the yeah. lyrics. So come on, John. I mean, you have this really important message. Put it out there. Don't hide it behind the guitars. Well, and I guess when I'm... And your weird voice. Yeah, and I guess when I'm criticizing the mix, I should be criticizing Fogarty because he's the one that yeah, produced this album. Exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, it would be interesting to see how, you know, I don't know if any of the remasters have these mm-hmm. moved to the front a little bit because... You know, on these songs like this and the other one we spoke about that has a good message to it, the vocal needs to be mixed to the front. I, I kind of wondered while I was listening to the song if it was done intentionally. As kind of like with the satirical nature of what was that previous song about uh, Jody the farmer? It, it fell from the sky. I wonder if he did that intentionally, hide the lyrics so that people would get really into the music because, you know, they're hippies. Hippies are supposed to love this music. Then one day they'd wake up and realize, wait, what's he saying? I don't think <laughs> I don't think from Fogarty you had him worrying about any of that because from his stand and position on things mm-hmm. and his stance on things, I don't think he was ever afraid to say anything to anybody. Yeah, so that and, was the only benefit of the doubt I could get. Yeah, and you look at like Fortunate Son and how that song is mixed perfectly, yeah. and it's a very forward message song, mm-hmm. and you can hear the message. This song, I didn't like it musically. I do like the message when you read the lyrics, but... I don't like the vocal at all. I don't like the way mm-hmm. the vocal sounds. Even yeah. if the vocal was moved to the front, I don't mm-hmm. like his vocal in it. It's just a weird sound, but but it was mixed poorly as well. So, but, I mean, yeah, it is that, that excellent message with the hippies there. Free love and, you know, just do whatever you want, man. Well, who's going to put food on your table tomorrow? Yeah, exactly. Because you're not out there planting the beans today. It's like you can have your yeah. idealism, right? You can have it, but... Yeah. You Somebody's got to do the work. You also better work, right? Yeah. So for me, this is probably the well, one skipper on yeah, the album for we, me. we can't all be philosophers. So that moves <laughs> us on to the next song, The Midnight Special. Now, this yeah. is another cover on here. It's a traditional folk song. And it originally, according to folklore, mm-hmm. it originated from prisoners in the American South. The lyrics are credited to uh, Howard Odom in 1905, but that's not even set in stone either. Mm-hmm. Nobody, Some of these traditional songs, people don't really know where they come from. They just yeah. kind of emanated. And you've got all kinds of people covering them in the early 
you know, early 30s and 40s. Like this mm-hmm. one was recorded by Lead Belly in 1934. Yeah, that's. And, I'm sure that's the version I've heard before. Most likely, yeah. and it, and this is another one. I was looking at the list of artists that have recorded this song, and it's in the hundreds. It's been recorded a lot. I think CCR's version, probably at least in contemporary times, is the most popular. And they did use this song. It was uh, the opening song on the Twilight Zone movie. What were your thoughts on this song? Listening to this song, I would thought, well, I mean, he's referencing like being a prisoner. And he keeps singing, you know, let the midnight special shine its light on me. I thought, what is the midnight special? Because I was trying to figure out, is this a metaphor for something? Is this like a literal name of like a gun or a train or something? Yeah, and the vocals on this are mixed forward, and you can hear him fine. Yeah, you can clearly understand. You what just he's don't saying. know what the hell he's talking about. Yeah, but the midnight special. What is that? So I actually googled it and found the Wikipedia on what the midnight special was. It was a train, and so you have a prisoner that's singing about trying to escape on the midnight special, but having that that light on the front of the train shine down on him while he's uh, trying to catch the train. Well, I think Credence did an excellent job of making this a contemporary song. Mm-hmm. It's a song I've always liked ever since I had their greatest hits. It was one included on there. Yeah. I, I like the intro. And I think the one thing that shines in this is the vocal mix is forward. And I think it's got good harmonies. Yeah, it does. I think they do an excellent job of harmonies. But it's got a good beat throughout. And once mm-hmm. again, it, I think he did an excellent job of making the song contemporary. And yeah. He, you know, the, I understood him clear enough to see that he was talking about this uh, young wife that was walking up to the, the courthouse to demand that her husband be released. She had yeah. a, like a, a, a writ of habeas corpus or something in her hand that they just said it was a piece of paper. But, so I understood a lot of what he was saying. It's just John Fogarty. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was mixed really well. I think, you know, you take this song, it's a traditional folk song that's mm-hmm. 70 years old at the time or whatever yeah. it is. And, you know, I think he did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. The whole band did a good job you know, making it theirs. And I don't know if I've heard another version of the song. I probably have and never really mm-hmm. thought about it. I knew it wasn't Credence. I, I knew it wasn't their song. You mm-hmm. know, I knew it was a cover. I figured it was an old blues song from yeah. someone like Muddy Waters or something like that. But For sure. yeah, it, it's a good song. You know, I, I put this in my top half without a doubt. So we move on to the next song. Yeah, this next song, I would call this that uh, last aftershock of the uh, Willie and the Poor Boys plan. Yeah, and I, I disagree with you 100% on that. But let's go into this. So this, right. this is another instrumental, and this one was written all by John Fogarty. A lot of people say this is his homage to Booker T and the MGs because they like mm-hmm. doing a lot of instrumentals and things. Okay. They actually released this as a B-side to the single It Came Out of the Sky in 1973 in the UK for some reason. And it, it did all right there. I, I think it popped the top 20 a little bit. This song... The one thing, and this is probably why I like this instrumental so much better than the other one, is because this one is John Fogarty showing his skills on the guitar. This is a great musical song throughout. The guitar work, in my opinion, is the best by far on the album. I don't care for the vocals, though. I can't say that much. But is it easy to say that I don't care for the vocals on a completely instrumental song where there's no vocals? We can't critique something that's not there, John. Yeah, he mixed them way, way in the back on this one. Yeah, especially when you're going to title the song Side O The Road, that O apostrophe. Okay, you didn't sing it, bud. So why even, just call it Side Of The Road. My opinion of this song is it's very strong. I love the guitar work in this. It was a really nice jam song. It's actually kind of heavy in a way yeah. in some of the sections. What, what are your thoughts on it? Like I said, this is a really nice jam song where you have the whole band coming together and uh, just playing. John's an excellent guitarist, and he really showcases that in this song. And it does get a little bit heavy. It, it, it's got broad range, but it gets really repetitive as well. Yeah, some of the background music does, but I think he does excellent on the guitar solos. Yeah. And I think the one thing why this shines for me is because... You know, the kind of music CCR plays doesn't, mm-hmm. even though you have a lot of guitar in it, there's there's not a lot of heavy driven guitar. There's not a lot of pedals used on it. There's not a lot of effects. Yeah. But I, I think this showcases the fact that 
he's a pretty damn good guitar player. Yeah, he is. You know, he's right up there with him and, and very underrated, in my opinion, of how good of a guitar player he is. I've seen some mm-hmm. of his concerts and things. There's actually a pretty good documentary about him on Netflix, and at the end it shows a concert they played in England somewhere, and it's kind of fun to watch. I would suggest anyone that's interested in Credence go check that out because it's a good starting point, and it shows the musicianship and how raw they play and just how mm-hmm. good they play. So that moves us on to the last song on the album. Song number 10. Yeah, Effigy. Another song written and sang by John Fogarty. And this is the longest track on the album. It clicks in just a little over six and a half minutes. And this is another political song. Pointing a finger at the Nixon administration. And, you know, while they were completely falling apart, which is easy to do when they're falling apart. An effigy, if you don't know what an effigy is, it's a model of a, you know, an actual person that's made for the purpose of being destroyed as an act of like protest or an expression mm-hmm. of anger or something like that. So this would be like a, a doll or a scarecrow or something, sort of, some humanistic form that you create to represent the person that you're protesting. Yeah, I think in that manner, unless less it's meant more as a, the lyrics and the song mm-hmm. title aren't literal in mm-hmm. this sense, maybe they're saying, okay, you, Nixon, and your mm-hmm. administration, you are an effigy. You know, you're you're there as a placeholder for mm-hmm. something else that should be. That's kind of the way I take it. That would make sense, yeah. I don't know. What did you think of this song? I thought it was a really well-done piece of art. When it comes to listening to this song, there's something about the way that the music is played, the way they bend the notes, and that just seems like there's the, some of the tones get twisted. And it, may, it just lets you know, hey, something's wrong. Something just feels off about this. And I think that's exactly what he's trying to say about the Nixon administration. Well, and musically, this song, it's got a good intro. It's got good guitar parts all throughout yeah. it. It's got good harmonies in it. I believe they're harmonies, but they mm-hmm. almost sound like it might be a double vocal track, too. So it's hard to say. Yeah, it could be. I can't really tell because it almost sounds double vocal, but the guitar solo in the middle, once again, that's kind of a heavy guitar solo yeah. in this one. And it in the song is kind of creepy and morose throughout. I yeah. mean, it, it's got that strange feeling. Mm-hmm. And once again, this is like one of the previous songs where the verses and the choruses, even though they're in there, the music doesn't change. It doesn't change speed or tone or anything. It just kind of keeps that same beat throughout. And so when you get to the verse, about, or I mean the chorus about the effigy and things mm-hmm. like that, it's no different than the verse, which normally they would seem uninventive, but I like it in this song. And I like how heavy the guitar is in this song. Once again, it shows how underrated Fogarty is as a guitar player, in my opinion. The closeout to this song, the guitar and the closeout, is absolutely amazing. I don't normally like songs that fade, but the way this fades to close out the album mm-hmm. with the guitar solo over it and stuff, I, I think that's a perfect way to close the album. I really enjoyed it. It's almost like you're watching a protest that's carrying this burning effigy held up in front of them, and you're watching them march by with yeah, that. It's, it's, it's a really cool effect of fading out, I think. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. You know, it's kind of funny because a lot of these albums of this time, you know what I enjoy about the albums is there was a theme to a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Even if it didn't carry throughout, it still felt like it carried throughout. Yeah. And it seems like with the music nowadays, you don't have that. You have people writing hooky songs that they think are going to be popular and be able mm-hmm. to dance to, and that's about it, instead of having meaning in it and then yeah. trying to put decent music to it. Yeah, and that seems what this whole album is about, is let's let's make a meaningful album with songs that matter. Yeah, I agree. So it was a good way, in my opinion, Effigy was a really good way to close out the album. And Side 2 was amazing because to start Side 2, Fortunate Son, the strongest strongest song on the album. So you ready to get to Winners and Losers? Yeah, let's do that. Winners and Losers. Okay, Tyler, why don't you tell me today, let's go to your two least favorite songs on the album. Least favorites. I'm going to go with the Poor Boy Shuffle. I, I, I was. It wasn't my song. It was. Uh, it, it got a little too repetitive for me. And also the uh, Don't Look Now. It ain't you or me. Those uh, were two new songs for me. I think we talked about this uh, during the album review. There was a really important message there that got lost in the music. Well, you're gonna make this easy for me. Because okay. I've got the same two songs as my least favorite. Oh, crap. We, our, our cycles are starting to sync up because we've been living together too long. Well, except we don't live <laughs> together. That's true. 
but or have cycles. And I feel kind of bad because the poor boys shuffle, you know, being just a really short instrumental, it almost seems like, you know, it shouldn't even fall as mm-hmm. as the worst song. You know, if I was to pick another worst song, this probably pissed a lot of people off. But I would say down on the corner. Really? Possibly that's because I've heard it so much. I, it's a decent yeah. song, but it just... It's overplayed. It's overplayed. And, it, and it, that'll ruin it and for And the you. song doesn't isn't good musically for me, so it... Yeah. You know, that's what I would pick anyway. So what are your favorite songs on the album? My top favorite is Fortunate Son. I, I, obviously, that one's just a masterpiece. I'm going to say that Cotton Fields was also a favorite. It was a new song for me, but I really appreciate how well they captured that image of growing up in in cotton fields yeah the imagery and the lyrics and being homesick for it and that's another song that was on their greatest hits that Mm -hmm. i picked up volume one and volume two when i was in high school or something on vinyl and so i've listened that song a lot so uh then we turn it around to you justin what's your uh what's your two favorites well we're on board again because fortunate son without a doubt Mm -hmm. is my favorite and like i said it's one of their top two or three best songs they have it's just an epic song everything about it musically lyrically and it gets played and played and played and i never get sick of it why is that you see that's the thing is when i say down on the corner i don't really Mm -hmm. like because it gets played so much that's only one of the reasons i really don't like the song that much musically Mm -hmm. it's not a horrible song and i don't skip it but it's just Mm -hmm. not my favorite right fortunate son is an amazing song my second favorite song on here i had a hard time deciding oh really yeah done this i'm gonna pick an instrumental oh side of the rope really yeah i think that just because of the guitar work in that i normally wouldn't pick an instrumental because mm-hmm. you don't have lyrics to compare yeah. and in a way it's not a complete song but I love that song. Mm-hmm. I, I love the instrumentation in that, and it shows what he can do. And if I was to give an honorable mention or a possible tie for second or third place, I would say Effigy. You know, Effigy is worth mentioning. It, it wasn't in my top. It wasn't in my bottom. But it was It was in the top half. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed I think that was a really good end a really well-made song, a good piece of work. Yeah, it's a it's an excellent song, and it's not one that I visit often. You know, this this isn't an album. I've listened to this album quite a few times before, but it's not one I visit too often, and I'm glad we did mm-hmm. because it's it's a pretty strong album. You know, Credence is an excellent band. Yeah, I would put Effigy. I would probably say Effigy and Side of the Road would be tied for second, as far as I'm concerned. You know, the... the- Credence Clearwater Revival is a band that has grown on me like a little fleck of moss that landed on a rock about 20 years ago and just slowly grown until it starts to cover that rock. I mean, it's it's one of those bands where I really enjoy them now, where I didn't always. Yeah, and I, I've pretty much always enjoyed them. It was another group that my father was into, mm-hmm. and he kind of got me into. And obviously, for the first little while, I listened to their hits. But diving into their albums, there are some hidden gems. Yeah, you know? for sure. And I think, by far, the second side of this album is stronger than the first by a long shot. Oh, absolutely. You know, opening with Fortunate Son and then mm-hmm. closing out with Side of the Road and Effigy. I, I just think the second side's much stronger. Yeah, if this were to be like a rock opera or something, this is like coming back from the intermission with Fortunate Son. It's just a huge, strong entrance into yeah, the second act. I I think the album would have been better served with that opening in the album. Is what it is, and it's... Uh, Effigy is a great way to close it out. Yeah, it's Creedence Clearwater Revival and Willie and the Poor Boys. Should we get to an album rating? Let's do it. Album rating. So, Tyler... After listening to the 10 songs on Credence Clearwater Revival, Willie and the Poor Boys, 0 to 10, what do you rate this album and why? You know, I really expected, I I thought, I think I was going to rate this even higher before listening to the album. I'm going to give it a 7. I was going to give it an 8. I realized that this album's carried on the shoulders of two or three songs. Yeah, but maybe three or four. But that is the case with most albums. With most albums, yeah. But I don't know. I just, I, I couldn't, I don't see myself buying the album. So I have to give it, a, I'm going to give it a seven. There, there's also something about finding out that these guys are from San Francisco and not from the deep South that really upset me. 
No one would ever think CCR was a band from the Bay Area. No. The music they play, the way Fogarty's mm-hmm. lyrics sing out and his his singing accent, it's kind of strange. But I'm going to stick with Seven. I think it was they're a good band. John Fogarty's a really talented guy. Not the clearest enunciator, but very recognizable voice and excellent guitar work. What about you? You know, when I look at this album, it's got 10 songs, right? One of them being Poor Boy Shuffle, just a short instrumental. So really, this has only got nine songs. And in my opinion, Don't Look Now was the weakest song on that, Mm -hmm. with the exception of Poor Boy Shuffle. There's really not any other weak song on the album. No. And uh, It Fell From the Sky was a fun song to listen to. I I mean, you've got four or five pretty strong songs. Yeah, It Fell From the Sky is good, too. Mm -hmm. Midnight Special's good. Feeling Blue's good. I think I'd rate this an eight and a half. I feel pretty comfortable with that. And I'm kind of the same as you. It, it is carried by Fortune yeah. Sun being the huge <laughs> song it is. You yeah. know? But but there's some hidden gems on this, too. And I, I think this is a pretty yes, important album. You know? I mean, you've <laughs> got Midnight Special. You've got Cotton Fields. You've got Down on the Corner. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite, but it's, it's a strong song. And then Side of the Road, which I love as an instrumental, and mm-hmm. Effigy, which is amazing. You know, Cotton Fields. Yeah, I, I fell in love with Cotton Fields as soon as they started singing. It, it was just... it. That song carried me back to the memory that they were trying to portray. Well, this is an eight-song album with Mm -hmm. two instrumentals, one very short and poor and one very, very strong. Mm -hmm. And out of those remaining eight songs that actually have vocals in them, seven of the songs are strong, so... Yeah. You know, it's a pretty strong album, so I a solid eight and a half, and maybe even on a good day, mm-hmm. it may even go a little higher, but I think I'll rate it an eight and a half. So that's Creedence Clearwater Revival, Willie it and the Four Boys. Pleasure. If you haven't listened to it, give it a listen and let us know what you think. You won't regret it. No, I don't it's think a, you will. It's, it's a, a good, good use album. of a half hour of your day. If you have any questions or concerns or comments or whatever, please email us at classicvinylpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. or Twitter. We always enjoy getting emails about what albums or what groups you want to hear us review or anything that we can do better. We appreciate, you know, all the support we've gotten so far and, you know, share us with your friends. Mm-hmm. And so, thanks again, John, from Austin, Texas. It was John, right? Yep. Thank you for uh, suggesting Creedence Clearwater Revival. This was a fun ride. Yep. But until next time, see you later. Thank you so much for listening to Classic Vinyl Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Classic Vinyl Podcast for updates and also share us with your music-loving friends.